pray right now that you go before Pastor Merritt as he comes to bring this message. I pray that you open our hearts, open our spirits, Father, to receive your word. God, we love you so much, and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. Have a seat. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? By doing great? Good. Well, I'm glad you're here. If you're going to give you a little bit of a head start. G-E-P-C. What does that stand for? General Electric Power Company, right? Everybody got it? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All right, I want you to turn to the P, Philippians, the book of Philippians. And if you're a guest of ours this morning, we're glad you're here. We're in a series called Tasty. Um, it's based on what the Bible describes as the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, a little correction, theological correction, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, singular. It's all part of one fruit. Now, I've told you before, and I'm going to say it and repeat it again for some of you who haven't been here in a while. Fruit has two qualities that make it a very, very, very good food. First of all, it's good to the tongue. It's good to the taste. It tastes good. I don't think I've ever met anybody that you may be one of the rare birds out there. I don't think I've ever met anybody that says, I don't like any kind of fruit. I mean, everybody likes some kind of fruit and, and because there's, there, it, it's very tasty. It's tasty to the tongue. But another thing about fruit that makes doctors happy is it's not only good to you, it's good for you. It's good not only to the tongue, it's not only good to the taste, it's good for the body. And so we, we believe that the Bible teaches, and I've been sharing this with you, that one of the reasons why the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit living with us, bearing His fruit through us, is that what God's really trying to tell us is, I want your life to be just like fruit. I want your life to be tasty to others. I, I want you to live life in such a way that it's so attractive, it's so magnetic, that people will really want to take a bite out of your life. They, they will want to taste what you have. And when they do, it will not only be good to them, it will be good for them. If you've ever had the privilege, as I have, of receiving in the mail or, or somebody by you know, surprising you with a fruit basket, I mean a really luscious, beautiful-looking fruit basket, every time you get one, you just, you just almost want to just dive into that thing. Well, God wants our lives to be just that attractive to other people. Now, to put this in perspective, I want to ask you a question. I want you to imagine this morning that I were to walk up to you, and I, I've got somebody with me, and it's a perfect stranger. You've never met this person in your life. You don't know them. You don't know where they're from. You don't know who they are. You don't know their name. You don't know their background. You don't know their nationality. You don't know where they were born. You don't know anything. You don't know what they do for a living. You've never heard them say a word to you, and they have never, you've never said a word to them, not, 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 not anything. You know nothing about this person. But I want you to imagine that I were to say to you, I know this person, and let me tell you what this person is like. Every time I'm around this person 24-7, they just exude love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I wouldn't have to tell you anything else about that person. You know what you'd have in your heart? You would have a desire that would say, I'd like to get to know that person. I'd like to find out about that person. I would like to spend time with that person. I'd like to become friends with that person. And, and, and pretty soon, you know what would happen? You would want to be just like that person. Well, today we're going to cover the third part of this fruit, which is called peace. The Bible says in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, and peace. Let's just say that together. I want you to memorize these verses because they're easy to learn, all right? Let's say it together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Now, we've talked about love. We've talked about joy. Today, we're going to talk about peace. But I want you to understand something. The peace that the Bible is talking about here and the peace that I'm talking about is not primarily the, the, the peace that's external, that we, we desire to have between nations and, and, and we desire to have between people. It's not an external peace. It is an internal peace. It is that calmness of spirit that you have on the inside even when you're in the middle of a raging storm on the outside. Now, I got a chance recently, uh, didn't cost me anything, I got a chance to go out to Palm Springs. Have any, anybody ever been to Palm Springs? All right, a few of you have. Man, you're talking about a place where a guy from Oakwood, Georgia felt out of place. Palm Springs, the cheapest car I saw was a Lexus. I mean, it's unbelievable. They even have a building code in Palm Springs. You can only build buildings in one of two colors. And it all has to blend in with the desert. And, 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 and it was just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I was out there. I, I, got to, I, got, I went by the Betty Ford Center. Uh, I went by uh, the, on every street corner there are um, uh, plastic surgeons, every street corner. And on every other corner there's orthodontist. And, and so if you want to know where the stars, I mean, get their, you know, get their face pulled back and get their wrinkles taken out and get those pearly whites, I mean, that's where they go. They go to Palm Springs. Well, you know, I, I, you, you would think that if anybody in the world has peace, if anybody in the world has no concerns, no worries, no bothers at all, you would think it would be all these rich and famous people. And yet Barbara Walters asked the famous actor Richard Dreyfuss, the guy that starred in Jaws and other movies, Barbara Walters asked Richard Dreyfuss this question. She said, if you could have only one wish, what would you wish for? Now, here's a guy that's got more money he'll spend in three lifetimes. Worldwide famous. Doesn't have to work another day in his life. I mean, doesn't have to hit a lick at a stick. I mean, absolutely nothing at all. Do you know what Richard Driver said without even, didn't have to think about it. Listen to what he said. He said, with every birthday, with every birthday, every time I blow out the candles, every time I see a shooting star, I wish for the same thing, inner security. I'll say it again. With every birthday, every time I blow out the candles, every time I see a shooting star, I wish for the same thing, inner security. In other words, he's looking for inner peace. He says, I, I want peace. I want peace in my life. I can tell you the happiest days I've ever spent in my life, and there haven't been a lot of them, but the happiest days I have spent in my life are those days and maybe months and maybe there was a year or two there when I was at perfect peace. And what I mean by that, I had no worries, no anxieties, no concerns, no crushing burdens, just peace and quiet. Now, you're probably sitting there going, that was about back when I was in the first grade. I mean, that's been a long time since you say, you know, I, I've just never had that. And, and as you look down the list of these various characteristics we're going to study over the next several weeks, if you're like me and, and you've been honest with yourself, some of these fruit are harder to come by in your life than others. Some of this fruit is, is harder to bear than others. You know, when you think about that list, if I were to ask you the question, all right, between love, joy, peace, patience, uh, you know, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, between all those, wh what do you find? Well, this fruit's kind of lacking in my life. This is the fruit that's really tough to bear in my life. I'm going to be very honest with you. This would be one of the fruits that's hard to bear for me. 
And, and but, but, you know, I, I know that some of this fruit pops up on your branches pretty quickly and pretty easily. And some of this fruit you've got to cut, you've got to prune, you've got to fertilize, you've got to water. Well, peace is one of those fruits that is one of that part of the fruit I, I've got to cultivate. Uh, because, uh, you know, it, one of my biggest vices is worry and anxiety. And, and, and uh, you, know, you, you know, you would think once you give your life 24-7 to the creator of this universe, you would think that on a 24-7 basis that you'd have peace, but you don't. And, and, and it raises a question, okay, if, if, if you've given your life to God and you believe in God and you believe God lives in you, and if you believe God is, God is all-powerful, and if you believe God is perfect, if you believe God loves you, then, then why don't we have that kind of peace? Well, I've learned that there are basically three peace robbers in our lives. There, there, there are three things that will that, rob you of your peace. And, and by the way, you can never totally get away from them. And, 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 and they sometimes get so overwhelming, they can literally suck all the peace out of your life and fill you with nothing but anxiety and worry. Let me tell you what those are. You, it's not it's profound. If you think about it, you figure it out on your own. The three things that will suck peace out of your life, number one, there's pressures. You got deadlines to meet. You got projects to finish. You got bills to pay. You got pressures. And, and most everybody in this, in, this, in this building is under some kind of pressure. I understand that. And then there are problems. You've got unexpected illnesses. You've got the sudden loss of a job. Or you've got the one problem that to me is straight out of the belly of the pit of the depths of hell. Your computer crashes. Uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, there's the only thing outside of a bad golf shot, there maybe want to cuss, is when my computer crashes. Okay? I, I've never cussed in my life, but I've written a word down and signed it two or three times. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it when a computer crashes. So we've got problems. Now, care to guess what the last one is? People. People. Prodigal child, abusive spouse, or critical church member. And all of a sudden, your peace level goes to the bottom and your blood pressure goes to the top. Now, I told you in an earlier message that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the only thing that can rob you of your joy is what? Sin, that's the only thing that can rob you of your joy. Bad economy shouldn't rob you of your joy. High interest rates shouldn't rob you of your joy. Problems and pressures, they shouldn't rob you of your joy. But sin can rob you of your joy. Now, let me tell you this. There is only one thing that can rob you of your peace. Only one thing. Worry. Anxiety. Being overly concerned. Now, I know that there are some of you in this room right now, and you are more worried at this point in your life than you've ever been worried before. I, you know, I, I, I get that. And there have been times since I started this church, I've had some of the highest levels of anxiety that, that I've ever had in my life. I, I've been there. I, and I told you, worry is the Achilles heel of my life. Now, on the other hand, and this, this pains me to say this. It, it, in fact, it irritates me and it aggravates me. I know there are some of you, you just don't worry about anything. And I just, can I just tell you, I don't like people like you. I mean, you know, you're Joe Cool. You know, you just don't ever worry about anything. You know, you're, you know, you're the old spice guy. You know, <laughs> you know, you just, man, I, I'm just, I don't worry about anything. Man, you could, we could dash you with gasoline, put a flamethrower on you, and you still wouldn't sweat. Now, can I be honest? You're the kind of person that worries me. You, you, you really do. Now, on the other hand, there are a lot of you out there, and you worry about everything. I mean, in fact, when, you, when you're going through a time in your life when you're not worried, you get worried that you're not worried. Now, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of me. Now, let me, let me tell you the truth. This is the truth. 
And I want you to, I want you to write this down. When I worry, I won't have peace. But when I have peace, I won't worry. When I worry, I won't have It's not that you can't have it. You won't have it. But when I have peace, I won't worry. When I have peace, I, I, when, I, when, when I worry, I won't have peace. But when I have peace, I won't worry. Now, the question is, how can you bear the fruit of peace in your life with all the pressures that you've got to deal with, with all the problems that you've got to solve, with all the people you've got to put up with? How can you constantly on a daily basis be bearing the fruit of peace in your life? How can you have this eye of the storm calm in your heart when this gigantic hurricane is blowing all around you? How can God even expect us to have that kind of peace? I got an email several years ago from somebody who said, the way to achieve inner peace is to always finish things that you started. It has worked for me. I have made a point of always finishing what I start, and I'm well on my way to finding inner peace. Because I care for you, I'm passing this wisdom on to you. I thought, man, this is neat. Here's what they said. Here are the things I finished today. Two bags of potato chips, a strawberry cheesecake, a package of Oreos, a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew, and a large cheese pizza. And I know it works because I feel better already. Now, that really doesn't work. But we're going to learn today from a man, his name was Paul, who had an incredible, inexplicable, invincible peace in the most unbelievably difficult circumstance that you could imagine. And he tells us in, in this passage in Philippians chapter 4 where peace is, what peace is, and how you can find it. Now, let me tell you what peace is. This is important. Peace is the confidence that God can relieve you of your pressures, can solve your problems, and can handle the people in your life. I'm going to say that again. Peace is the confidence that God can relieve you of your pressures, God can solve your problems, and God can handle the people in your life. Now, the quick question is, you're sitting there saying, man, I'd love a boatload of that. Where do you get it? How do you find it? Well, it's just this simple. Here's, here's the key takeaway. This is what I want you to walk out the door with. When you truly give God your worries, He will totally give you His peace. When you truly, and that's the key word, because a lot of us say we do, but we don't. When you truly give God your worries, God will totally give you his peace. Now, here in Philippians chapter 4, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to keep the background of this story in mind. Paul did not write these words lying on a beach in Maui, eating pineapples and drinking, uh, you know, drinking a, a, a virgin pina colada or, or whatever. He, he was, and I said virgin, he was a, in a dungeon in Rome chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, absolutely convinced that every day would be his last day. And Paul knew, I'm not going to get out of this dungeon alive. Unless God absolutely miraculously intervenes, I am never going to see daylight again. I will never get out of this dungeon alive. And yet, had you been there every day with Paul, even though Paul was chained to this Roman soldier, even though he couldn't even see the daylight, even though he was in this dark dungeon, even though he thought every morning this will be the last morning I'll ever live, as the guy on ESPN says, he would have been as cool as the other side of the pillow. He would have been at perfect peace. And how did he do it? How did he attain that kind of peace? Well, believe it or not, 
through four of the most simple exercises you could ever imagine. And I'm going to make a promise to you because I have begun practicing these years and years ago. And if you will practice four things on a daily basis in your life, I don't care what you're facing. I don't care how great your pressures are. I don't care how big your problems are. I don't care how difficult the people are. If you will take these four steps in your life and really actually practice them on a daily basis, you will have the peace of God in your life. Here's what Paul says we ought to do. Now, you're not going to like the first one, but here's step number one. Step number one is you got to rejoice. Now, listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. You see that little word, always? Not when times are good, always. Not when the interest rates are low, always. Not when your 401K is up, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, I understand you're sitting there right now, and, and you're worried right now, and you're living under unbelievable pressure. You're dealing with huge problems, people who drive you crazy, and have me get up here and say, okay, now here's your first remedy, rejoice. Rejoice. You're sitting there saying, are you nuts? And, and by the way, pastor, that, that's easy for you to say. You got a job. You get a paycheck. You got a great marriage. Your kids aren't in jail. You don't have cancer. You don't struggle with heart disease. You, you, you're not under the pressure that I'm under. You, you don't have the problems I have. You don't deal with the people I have to deal with. And you're going to stand up there and tell me to rejoice? That's easy for you to say. Can I be very honest? It is easy for me to say. It's very easy for me to say. You're right. But it wasn't easy for him to say. It was very difficult for him to say, I can promise you right now, whatever you're facing right now, I will guarantee you it cannot compare to what he was facing. Because I'll tell you this, at least you're free to go anywhere you want to go. He was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. At least you can go eat pretty much anything you want to eat. He was pretty much existing on bread and water. At least you got a decent chance of living another day. Every single day Las Vegas would have given you a thousand to one odds. He wouldn't see another day. Now, we've already talked about joy before we talked about joy in our first message, and you've got to understand all of these qualities go together. All these qualities are interrelated. For example, joy and peace go together because obviously if you don't have joy, you're not going to have peace. And if you don't have peace, you're not going to have a lot of joy. If, for example, we're going to talk about in the next couple, we're going to talk about patience. You ever seen a real joyful, impatient person? You, you ever seen an impatient person has a lot of peace? I mean, you, you know, you, you think the guy that's blowing his horn out on the freeway, you think that guy's full of joy and peace? No, these all go together. And so obviously, you don't have joy, you won't have peace. You don't have peace, you won't have joy. And, and I, I know that's not easy. And by the way, why do you think Paul repeated himself? He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he does something he doesn't do very often. He says, oh, by the way, again, I will say rejoice. In case you didn't hear me the first time, in case you didn't get it the first time, let me just repeat it so I'll make sure you got it. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Now, why do you think Paul put that little word in there always? Because it's hard to rejoice when pressures are great and problems are big and people are mean. But that's why he adds those three little words, and that's the key. You know, if Paul had just said, rejoice always, and again, I say rejoice, I'd say, 
Is that all you got? Is that the, is, have you emptied your clip? Is that the best advice you give? He didn't say that. He said, rejoice in the Lord. Let me tell you why he said that. You don't have to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, anybody facing some real great pressures in your life right now, I believe hands going up all over this building, okay? I acknowledge that. Let me give you the good news. God is greater than all your pressures. If I were to ask some of you right now, don't, don't raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, anybody in here got any big problems? We had a lady singing up here with stage four cancer. Big problem. She has unbelievable joy. I was watching her on the monitor backstage singing, knowing about her what most of you don't know about her. I'm thinking the smile on her face, the joy, the peace in her heart. You know why? God, she knows, is bigger than her problem. You say, well, you just don't know the mean people I have to put up with. God is better than your people. And Paul said, look, if you know that God's greater than your pressures, if you know that God is bigger than your problems, if you know God is better than your people, you ought to rejoice. And by the way, let me just stop and say a word to some of you in this room. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't really have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you're not into this God thing, maybe you're an unbeliever, you know, maybe you're a skeptic, can I be honest with you? I really don't expect you to rejoice. I really can't expect you to rejoice because you can't rejoice in the Lord unless two things are true about you. Number one, you know the Lord. And number two, you're right with the Lord. Unless you know the Lord and you're right with the Lord, you cannot rejoice in the Lord. But one of the reasons why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross was not just to forgive us of our sins. It was to give us joy. And, and, and if you don't know God, you can't be right with God. And if you're not right with God, you cannot have the joy that God gives and you cannot have the peace that God gives. That's one of the reasons why people that don't know God try everything else in the world, in the world trying to find peace. So, so they'll try everything. They try pills, they try possessions, they try pleasure, but, and they find it's all dead in streets. Why? Augustine was right when he said this. He said, the heart is restless and it will not rest until it finds its rest in God. You, you're not going to find peace if you don't find it in God. You, you, you may find some temporary relief from the pain. You won't really find peace. Now, let's turn this around. Let's suppose that you know God. And let's suppose that you know that you know God. And let's suppose that you're right with God. What I mean by that is you've accepted Christ into your life. He has forgiven you of your sins. His Holy Spirit has come to live in your heart. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's in complete control of your life. And that no matter what happens to you, you know that God's going to work it out for your good and for his glory. If those things are true in your life, you can't help but have joy in your life. You can't help but rejoice. You can't help but go around knowing, I don't care what happens to me. It doesn't matter. God, I know through me, can handle everything that comes. Now, don't misunderstand what, what Paul was saying and what I'm saying. You can't always rejoice in your circumstances. I understand that. I mean, as a matter of fact, unless you're sadistic, you're not going to rejoice in your circumstances. You're not going to find a lot of joy in big pressures. You're not going to find a lot of joy in tough problems. You're not going to find a lot of joy in difficult people. But Paul says you can always rejoice 
in the Lord. You can always rejoice in the greatness of God. You can always rejoice in the grace of God. You can always rejoice in the goodness of God. And Paul says, as simple as it may sound, if you're here this morning and you're worried and you're walking the floor and you've just had anxiety and worry has sucked all the peace out of your life, Paul would say, I'll tell you the first thing you need to do, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, here's the second step. Second step is, you ready for this? Relax. Relax. Now, listen to what he says in in verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, there are four words you ought to learn to say to yourself every time you get into a difficult situation. Every time you're walking the floor, every time you're worried sick, every time your stomach gets in a knot, every time the thief of anxiety tries to steal your peace, let me tell you four words you ought to learn to say to yourself, okay? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be, known, be, known, be made known to all. The Lord is is near. Now, let me tell you about that little word near. The word near can mean two things, and you can figure this out on your own. Same thing in English, same thing in Greek. It can mean near in space, or it can mean near in time. Now, for years and years when I read that passage, I used to think it meant near in time. I used to think that Paul was talking, uh, uh, was speaking chronologically. And I thought Paul was referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, now that I've gone back and I've really studied the passage and I've studied the Word and I've studied it in the context, I've changed my mind. I don't think Paul was saying, hey, listen, just relax because one of these days Jesus is coming back. I mean, what good does that do me if he doesn't come back in my lifetime? A lot of good that does me. No, that's not what he was saying. What he was not, what he was saying was not, hey, relax because Jesus is coming back. What he was saying was, hey, relax because Jesus is right next to you. He's walking right beside you. You're not in this alone. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, verse 28, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. God said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear. For I am with you. Let me tell you a story um, that, 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 that kind of brings this to home. Um, I grew up, uh, I was a premature baby. I think I've told you this part of my story before. I was a premature baby. I was born, um, uh, I, when I was born, I only weighed four pounds. I lost down to three pounds. I was in the hospital 22 days. Um, the doctor wasn't convinced I'd make it. My, my, my two aunts told my dad, you're not going to bury this boy. He'll, you know, he'll never make it. And, you know, by the grace of God, you can tell, obviously, I did. And, um, but, but, I, but, but, you know, I, I kind of grew up a sickly child in a way. I, um, you know, was very skinny growing up and, and, and was real prone to get sick and ill. And, and uh, on, on top of all that, I started to school really a year before I should have because back when I started to school, if you turned six before the end of the year, you could start the first grade. You can't do that now. Well, my birthday is in December, so I started, I mean, uh, the 22nd, so I, I just barely beat the deadline. Well, what happened was I start to school not realizing that for the most part, I'm close to a year behind my classmates physically, you know, uh, emotionally, and in, in, in those kind of ways. Well, I went to school with a kid in the first grade, and he was, he was much bigger than I was, and he began to bully me. He, he'd slap me in the back of the head. He'd push me down. And quite frankly, I, I was terrified of him. 
Um, I started to school, as I told you, a year earlier in the first grade, and so I'm a year behind everybody. And, and, and I tell you what, I just dreaded seeing this kid. I just dreaded seeing him. And, and I got, frankly, I just, I, man, I couldn't take it anymore. So I finally told my mother about it. Well, my mother told my brother, Mike, my, my brother, Mike. Uh, and and, and you know, Mike's five years older than I am. And, and at that time, you know, he, he was a lot bigger than I was, and he was a lot bigger than, in fact, he was bigger than both of us. So my mother just simply told my brother, Mike, you need to take care of this. So... Um, the next day, my brother told me that when school was out, and that's when that, this kid would find me and this kid would bully me, he said, I'm going to be hiding behind a tree. He said, don't, don't you worry. I'm going to take care of your, of, the, of your problem. Well, I walked out of that schoolhouse, and, and, and I saw my brother hiding behind this tree just a few yards away. Now, this kid couldn't see him, but, you know, I could see him. So this kid comes up to bully me again, and, and I know he couldn't understand it because I tried to run from him. He was even faster than I was. I never could, could run away from him. But he just he walked up to me, and, and, and I, just, I, just, I didn't even move. And I could tell he kind of thought, well, why aren't you afraid? You know, what's the problem? Matter of fact, I was kind of inviting him to come over. Well, just, he, at, just as he got up to me, I kind of turned around where, where he would be facing where he couldn't see my brother come up behind him. And, and just as he got up, he reared back to slap me in the back of my head. And my brother Mike jumped on him, and I want to tell you, he beat the daylights out of that kid. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm, before, you know, I may as well tell you, I'm just going to be honest. I was not standing there saying, blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> I'll tell you what I was saying, in the name of Jesus, hit him again. That's, I, mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's what I was saying. Well, after my brother gave him, a, I mean, a real rear end whipping he gave him a tongue lashing and he said if you ever touch my brother again it'll be a lot worse the next time around and he said you'll never know when I'm going to be around here watching you I never had another problem with that kid he and I got to be friends he liked me we, we got along great now let me ask you a question would it make any difference at all to you, any difference at all if every day when you got out of bed would it make any difference at all if I mean Physically, God got right beside you and said, I'm going to be right by your side every minute today. Would that make a difference? I got news for you. He is. He is. Every day when you get out of bed, he says, I'm right here with you. You get in your car to drive to work, I'm right here with you. You're going to that difficult meeting, I'm right here with you. Don't know what the x-ray is going to show, I'm right here with you. Right up to you get to bed at night. He says, I am right here with you. I mean, it would make any difference if you knew that no matter what pressures you face, no matter what problems you've got to solve, no matter what people you've got to deal with, that God would be so close to you that you could reach out and you could touch him and he would be there to help you. Let me tell you something. He's not only right beside you, the Bible says he lives within you and he's always around you. Now, what robs our peace, here's, here's the problem. Here's what you say, why, why, why is it, Pastor, that I don't have the peace I ought to have? I'll tell you why. You do what I do. You, you focus on the problems, and you focus on the pressures, and you focus on the people, and you forget about God. You just totally wipe Him out of your mind. And Paul says, you know what? When you forget about your problems and forget about your pressures and forget about the people, and you start focusing on God... Then he says, look what he says in verse 5. He says, your gentleness will be evident to everybody. You know what the word gentleness means? 
It means easygoing. He says, you know what will be evident to everybody? He said, it will be so evident you're not worried. It will be so evident you're not anxious. It will be so evident that you're, you're not overly concerned. You, 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 you won't be anxious. You won't be nervous. You'll be relaxed. Why will you be relaxed? Because you know God is with you and God is in control. Isaiah 26, 3, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament says this, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You will keep them in perfect peace. See, let me tell you this. This is something you've got to hear. The world has it all wrong. We think peace is the absence of conflict. We, we, we think peace is when everything is going our way. We think peace is when we've got no pressure, we've got no problems, and, and, and we've got no difficult people in our lives. Let me tell you something. The New Testament says otherwise. That's not what peace is. Listen to this. Peace is not the absence of difficulties. Peace is the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of difficulties. God got news for you. You are never going to get away from, from, from difficulties. You'll never get away from pressure. You'll never get away from problems. You'll never get away from people. Not going to happen. But that's not what peace is anyway. If I took all the problems and all the pressures and all the bad people out of your life, you still wouldn't have peace. Peace is not the absence of difficulties. Peace is the presence of God. So Paul says, here's the second step. You want peace? Relax. Third step. Release. Release. Now, <clears throat> how many times have you ever been told by someone who meant well when you're worried? How many times have you been told this? Well, don't worry. Has that ever really comforted you? Uh, can I be out? It never has me. You know, I, 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 I remember going through a difficult time one time in the prior church where I pastored, and I went down, Mom and Dad were living in Oakwood, and I went down to see my dad, just wanted to get away and just wanted to talk to my dad about what I was going through. And we, we walked out to the garden together, and, you know, I talked to my dad for 30 minutes, and, boy, I was waiting for some real wise words from my dad. You know what my dad said to me? Ah, oh, don't worry, everything will work out. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I drove down here an hour to hear that. Thank you. Appreciate it. Got in the car and left. I mean, you know, that, that, you know and you say, well, yeah, I, I have had that happen before. Well, Paul does exactly that. Look what he says in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I can tell you what that says in two words. Don't worry. Or if you want to put a positive spin on it, worry about nothing. Now, take it from a worrier. That's a lot easier said than done. And I get it. And I know what you're thinking right now. But then Paul tells us how to do it. Look what he says now in verse 6. He says, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, here's the second part of his advice. So here's what Paul said. Paul did not just say, don't worry. Paul said, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Don't worry, pray about everything. Now, that sounds like a cliche, and I know it, but it really is true because the one thing that works every time, every time, if you truly do it, that's guaranteed to get worry out of your life and put peace into your life, guaranteed is when you turn your cares into prayers. When, when you turn your cares into prayers. See, uh, th th this is the thing. I'm not asking you to pretend that you don't have problems. Or, 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 or you don't have pressures. Or, or pretend that you don't have difficult people to deal with because I know that you do. All I'm simply trying to tell you is this. You take whatever's in your life right now that's really sucking the peace out of your life. 
You, you tell me whatever it is in your life right now that's causing you to walk the floor, causing you to have sleepless nights, causing you to have that knot in your gut, causing you to stay up and worry. You tell me whatever that is, and all I'm telling you is you've got a choice, and everybody gets to make the same choice. You can either choose to carry that pressure, try to solve that problem, try to deal with that person on your own, or Paul says you can give all of your pressures and all of your problems and all of your people to God. Now, as a matter of fact, let me give you this thought. Every time something hits you that is a cause for worry, and every time something bursts into your life that raises your anxiety level, just whatever that is, I want you to remember this. That is God's handwritten, golden, engraved invitation to come to Him in prayer and give it to Him. Every time. Every single thing that comes into your life, every pressure, every problem, every difficult person, what God is saying is, hey, you know why I let that come into your life? You know why I allowed that pressure to come into your life? You know why that problem popped up? You know why that person crossed your path? I'm trying to get your attention to tell you that's why I'm here. You give that to me. Listen, you won't live many days on this earth that you won't get a chance to choose on more than one occasion between doing one of two things, worrying or praying. You almost get that every single day. And what Paul is telling us is this. Prayer is the pathway to peace. Prayer is the pathway to peace. Now, I know what some of you are sitting there saying right now. You say, well, I tried it. Didn't work. I mean, I prayed. I've gotten on my knees. I got on my face. I talked to God. I cried out to God. And I still didn't have peace. I've got news for you. If you really did what you just told me you did and you really didn't have peace, I'm going to tell you one of two things happened. Either A, you really didn't pray. You, you really didn't pray. You may have talked, but you didn't pray. Or B, you really did not release that burden to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, you know what that literally says in the Greek language? It really says it in a very crude way, but I want to tell you the way it really says it in the Greek language. Dump it on God. Dump it all on God. Dump the pressures. Dump the problems. Dump the people. He can handle it. You can't. He never said you could. He can. He always said he would. Now, I want to ask you three basic questions right now. Here's question number one. Do you believe that God loves you and cares about your problems? That's question number one. Don't, don't just give flippant answers. Do you really believe God loves you and God cares about your problems? Question number two. Do you believe that God is powerful enough to handle all your problems? I mean, you really believe that? Question number three. Do you believe that God wants to grow you through your problems? Now, if you're sitting there and you have really answered all of those questions, yes, and you truly believe that the way you will apply that in your life is by truly releasing everything that is robbing of you, of your peace and your life to God. If you really believe those things, then what you'll do is right now you'll say, you know what? I get it. Now I know why the pressure's in my life. Now I know why I got these problems. Now I know why I'm dealing with this difficult person, these difficult people. This is God's way of drawing me close to him. This is God's way of forcing me to trust him. This is God's way of forcing me to depend on him. This is God's way of growing me through trusting him. And by the way, don't miss this. Don't miss what Paul said. He added a couple of words. He said, oh, while you're doing this, do it with thanksgiving. 
Now, why do you think he added that? I mean, you, you don't, you, do, do you have to be thankful? As a matter of fact, I'd ask this question. If I'm coming to God with problems, and I'm coming to God with pressures, and I'm coming to God with difficult people, what have I got to be thankful for? I'll tell you what you're going to be thankful for. You can be thankful that God loves you enough to care about your problems. God is powerful enough to handle your problems, and God is going to grow you through your problems. See, here's our problem. Here's our real problem. When do we tend to thank God? When do we really tend to thank God? When things are good. You know, we tend to thank God when things are good. So we thank God when we get a paycheck. We tend to thank God when we get a raise. We tend to thank God when the x-rays are negative. Well, I got news for you. You don't thank God because things are good. You thank God because God is good. Did you hear that? You don't thank God when things are good. What, what good is that? Anybody can thank God when things are good. But God says, I don't want you to thank me because things are good. I want you to thank me because I am good. And when you can truly look into the face of your heavenly Father and you can say, Father, I thank you for these pressures. I thank you for these problems. I thank you for these people. And I'm releasing them to you and trusting you to enable me to get victory over my circumstances and to grow me through my circumstances, knowing that you're going to work all these circumstances out for my good. When you do that, then you've truly released everything to God. Then you've truly given everything to God. And when you do, you'll take that last step to peace that God wants to give you. And here's that last step. Then you rest. Then you rest. Look what he says in verse 7. Here's what will happen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace, the peace that can only come from God, that only God will give, he says, will literally guard you and protect you. By the way, guard you from what? Worry? anxiety, walking the floor at night, not causing ulcers. It is a peace that passes, Paul says, all understanding because it is a peace that only God can give. But notice what he says. It is the peace of God because the kind of peace the Bible talks about is not the temporary peace that you get through money or drugs or alcohol or sex because that peace never lasts anyway. This is the peace that passes all understanding that will be so real and so strong. People will look at you and they'll say, how can you have such peace? How can you be so calm? How can you be so full of joy when I know what you're going through? And by the way, you don't have to die to finally rest in peace. You can rest in peace even when life is at its most difficult. Listen, the reason why Jesus Christ died on the cross was not just so that we could be forgiven of our sins. You hear that all the time. Well, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, to forgive me of my sins. No, that's not the only reason why. Not just so you could be forgiven of your sins, but so you could have peace in this life. So you could have peace that can guard you and guide you through every storm. And by the way, not just any peace, but peace with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with 
God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you've got peace with God, you can have the peace of God. And no matter what comes your way, no matter how strong the pressure, no matter how big the problem, no matter how difficult the people, you can rejoice, you can relax, you can release, and then you'll rest in peace. Now, let me tell you how this works. Not long ago, I, just very recently, I, I, I had the privilege, somebody let me, that literally got me to go to California. And I got to play, I was in Palm Springs, and I got to play one of the most exclusive golf courses in this country. Probably as hard to get on as Augusta National. I'm out on, this, on, on, the, on the range, and I'm warming up, and the range is nicer than most golf courses you'll play in Atlanta. I mean, it's just this place is spectacular. They had, in fact, they, they had a, they, I was telling Teresa, they had a little um, uh, lot for sale. About, maybe about, it wasn't even, the, the lot wasn't even the size of this, this building right here, this, this footprint of this building right here. I mean, this room wasn't even that big. Out in the middle of the cacti, I mean, just cactus and dirt all it was looking down the canyon. The lot was $2 million. Just a lot, Okay. I didn't buy it, just FYI, but it's $2 million. Unbelievable exclusive place. I've never, never been in a place like it. It's just unreal. In fact, we got to put our things in Tiger Woods' locker. Tiger Woods is a member there. Jim Colbert, if you know anything about golf, the senior, plays on the senior tour. Jim was in the clubhouse when we walked through there. Unbelievable. So I was up warming up. I forgot a club. Went back to my car to get a club. The starter there, his name's Gary. And he had seen my name on the list, and, and he walked up to me and says, I, I'm not supposed to bother you, but he says, can I just shake your hand? I said, sure. I said, what have I done? He said, man, I watch you every Sunday on television. I said, 5.30 in the morning? I get up every morning at 5.30. I said, wow, I wouldn't get up at 5.30 to watch me. That's unbelievable. I wouldn't get up at 6.30 to watch me. And uh, he said, well, he said, I'm, I'm here half the year, and half the year I'm in North Carolina, and my mom watches you. She's 83 years old. So my mom said last week, just last week, she said, my mom said, if I could just talk to James Merritt, I'd be ready for the rapture. I said, what's her number? It's 83 years old. I Give me your phone. I called her, called her mom. I said, I understand that you love Jesus and you're going to heaven. I know you. You're James Merritt. And we had a good talk and all that kind of stuff. Well, we had a caddy. Caddy's name was Joe. Joe's hearing all this. So we get in our cart. We're about to, to head up. We're playing this big mountain course, and Joe's going to be our caddy. And so uh, Joe said, uh, hey, uh, you're, you're a reverend? I said, yeah, I am. I said, I don't like that title, but I said, if you, yeah, I'm a reverend. And I said, uh, you know, since you brought it up, I said, can I, can I ask you a question that I ask every caddy that I play with if I get a chance? He said, sure. I said, if the answer is no, I'm cool with it. I said, I'd just like to ask you a question. I said, you know, being a pastor, I, I love to talk about spiritual things. I said, would you mind if we talked about spiritual things? He looked at me and he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, I have been wanting to talk to somebody about God for a long time. I said, man, that's great. I said, well, you know, I said, if you don't mind, I'll ride in the cart with you some. We'll just talk. So for 18 holes, here's Joe, 38 years old, grew up in a totally different, he grew up born in Chicago, grew up in a totally different denomination from us, had been taught all of his life that salvation was, you know, you earn it by doing good, not doing bad. So for 18 holes, I'm sharing about Jesus and sharing about the grace of God. And he said, you know, he says, I've, I've tried women, I've tried alcohol, I've tried this, I've tried that. He said, nothing works. So I just shared with him how Christ died for him so that he could have a peace that he'd never had for 38 years. We all put it out on the 18th hole, and we're walking off the 18th hole. And I said, Joe, I said, you understand anything I said? Yeah. Makes sense to you? Absolutely. Joe, can you think of any reason why you couldn't ask Christ into your heart? No, sir. 
He said, you know what? He said, I've never had anybody explain this to me in my life. He said, you're telling me that God will forgive me of every sin I've ever committed, and not only that, every sin I ever will commit. I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. He said, I want to do that right now, right here. And I said, okay. I said, well, and, and one, of the, one of the other three guys had walked off. I said, well, this guy, do you mind praying in front of him? He said, no, I want to pray in front of everybody. So I all got all I said, guys, come over here. We just had a revival right there at the 18th hole. A 38-year-old man gives his heart to Jesus Christ. We go back to the clubhouse and getting the clubs out, and we get out, and I got his name information. We're going to send him a Bible. I'm sending him some different things. We're going to get him hooked up in a church. And He said, you know, mister, he said, uh, I know you don't like to be called reverend. He said, but you don't mind, I'm going to call you reverend. I said, okay, call me reverend. He said, reverend, I don't know exactly all that's happened to me. But he said, I've got something in me I've not had for 38 years. I said, I know exactly what you got, brother. You have the peace of God in your heart. He said, yeah, and I don't understand it. I said, that's why I know it's the peace of God. Because the peace of God passes all understanding. Now, I want you to look inside of your order of worship. You've got a card in, that, in, in there, and I want you to pull that card out. There are some of you here today, and maybe all of you here today, you need to sign a peace treaty. My peace treaty says, today, based on what I've learned from God's Word, I'm going to make peace with myself. I commit to rejoice because Christ has been through worse than what I've been through and I'm going through. I commit to relax knowing that the Lord is near. He's right beside me. I commit to release through prayer my conflicts, worries, and needs to God knowing He cares for me and wants to hear my concerns. And I commit to rest knowing I can only have the real peace there is, the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. What I'd like to ask some of you to do today, and, and you may think this is cheesy. I don't. It's not to me. But I'd like for some of you and maybe to join me to do what I'm going to do and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do that. Because let me tell you something, folks. The, the, the real opposite of peace is not worry. The real opposite of peace is sin. If you don't have the peace of God in your heart right now, you're living in sin because God wants you to have peace. That's a fruit that he wants you to bear. And so I want you to take those pressures, and I want you to take those problems, and I want you to take those people, and right now just say, you know what? I'm going to sign my name to this. And right now, even as I sign my name, I'm taking all these pressures and all these problems and all these people, and I am going to release them to God. And I'm going to walk out of here different than the way I walked in. I'm going to walk in here. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to relax. I'm going to release. And I'm going to rest in the peace that only God can give me. Let's pray together.